This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 18. This is Writing Excuses, setting as theme. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right, so theme. This is one of these things that uh, that I love, but I know is kind of a little bit pretentious. And the more <laughs> I write, the more I notice theme in books, particularly the things that authors have inserted intentionally or in films, yeah. and it just gives me shivers. Well, and I don't think it's pre- – I think we see it as pretentious because mm-hmm. we all had to sit through high school English classes reading The Scarlet Letter or whatever, and, and so we have this very kind of highfalutin – almost bitter view of theme, but every story has theme, even if you didn't put it in on purpose. And there's always something going on that you can find. And I too have started thinking more strongly about theme and what a story is saying almost than I'm looking at the plot in in, in the early stages theme of Theme is a lot planning. easier to work with now that I've started putting it in my outline spreadsheet <laughs> in its own cell. And we kind of Looking world-building-wise, there's two major divisions I want to talk about in this podcast. First is using small setting details running through different scenes to reinforce subtly your theme. And the second, which we'll cover in the back half, is using your world-building and what you spend your world-building time as on as a reinforcement of your theme. But let's talk about the first one. How? What do I mean by this? This idea of little details in your setting as creating theme. I don't know, Brandon. What do you mean by this? Well, <laughs> um, I'm talking about the way that oftentimes you'll see this in filmmakers and in writers where they will insert objects of description. Yeah. And oftentimes in the podcast, we've talked about how, you know, I use Dan's great example. He said, Long ago on the podcast, if you want to show maybe that a a, pl- a room is in a tough neighborhood, you show bullet holes in the window. And by narrowing in on a small object that you described in detail, you can often evoke a larger setting feel. Now, the more I write, the more I look for those little things to be something that is thematically connected to a lot of other sort of ideas that I'm having run through the story. Yeah, I, I wound up doing that in Calculating Stars with the, the presence or absence of the stars. Oh, uh, explain more. So, you know, this begins with a meteor strike. And and I open and I say that my characters are in 
uh, in the Poconos doing stargazing. And if she had known how long the stars would be hidden, she would have spent a lot more time outside with the telescope. And through the course of the rest of the book, I talk about how the stars are not there. Um, and the different times that she should have been able to see stars or people who were now going to grow up without clear memories of stars. And then, you know, at, towards the end of the book, Spoiler. spoilers, mm-hmm. um, there, she does see them again. And, uh, and it, it is a representation. It's a thematic representation of having achieved goals yeah. that were, were t- taken away at the beginning. And it gives you chills when you read it. And you don't have to have noticed actively what Mary was doing by mentioning the absence of something because we are keyed to, to, to pick up on these things, mm-hmm. to pick up on story beats, to pick up on things that are missing, things that are reinforced in a story. Even if we don't say, oh, I see what she's doing. She's making the absence of stars a theme until we get the stars at the end. You don't have to notice any of that. But as a reader, it gives you those, those, those subtle moments there was, yeah, there was a book that I read, uh, I narrated years ago um, that I, it, it, it's not a book that I can recommend, uh, unfortunately. Um, it <laughs> should not have been an audio book, but what that writer did with theme was amazing, these thematic resonances. And one of the, the images that she used was the light through a window onto snow, and it would appear in different places. Um, and it, it always were, was in these transitional moments. And by tying that image with this transitional emotional character moment, you started to have these these things happen where you would see that light in the window, and you're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Right. Um, yeah. Um, someone who was very good at this in film is M. Night Shyamalan. <clears throat> and I love in Unbreakable how if you watch this, one of the characters is almost always presented for the first time in their scenes as a reflection. Uh, a door opening and, you know, in the window of it, you seeing their reflection or seeing them in a mirror and things like this. And it just gives a slightly askew view of this character that makes you think something is off here because I always am having my perspective flipped and it ends up really working in the movie. Mm-hmm. It just it punches you in the face without you realizing that it's doing so. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of my favorite examples that I use when I teach theme is actually just Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, one of, I think there's several themes. One of them is sometimes you have to rely on something bigger than yourself. And the movie from the very first shot of here's the tiny little spaceship and here's the big giant spaceship they can't possibly hope to defeat is filled with all of those moments of overpowering evil or we have tried this and screwed it up. Just And, and, and the thing that makes it such a great example is that those things are going to be there anyway yeah. because it is a quest story. Um, and then just using that, turning it into the theme makes the final thing where they blow up the Death Star, spoiler warning, um, <laughs> what? makes it very satisfying, much more so than any other given explosion in a movie, because you've been thematically prepared for, we can't do this, we can't do this, oh, now we're going to use the force and we can. Yeah. I'm and at sure- the end of the movie, they can't see the star anymore. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure there are no more... Death Stars. I'm glad that they took care of Whew, that. Boy, yeah, yeah no, me too. Dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> um, how do you do this without it standing out too much? I can, 
see some of my early efforts at creating theme in my books uh, feeling too obvious. I, I, I'm putting it in a spreadsheet helps me because by explicitly stating it openly in the spreadsheet, I've gotten that explicit author's message, author's message out of my system. And now I can look at in other cells as I'm looking at other parts of the outline, I can look at what are the subtle ways in which this can be reflected? What are the ways in which these two themes can work together in this character's arc? Because I've got the explicit stuff out in the open where I can stare at it and I can be thinking about the subtleties. Um, In my historical thriller, which at time of recording is called Ghost Station, and for all I know, we'll be out under a different title by the time we release this episode. I have no idea. Um, one of the themes I was playing with was the idea, because it's 1961 in the middle of the Cold War, and so I was playing with this theme of how once the superpowers get moving, you can't stop them. Hmm. And all I did, rather than try to be overt about that, is I just filled the book with trains and music boxes, and clocks, and gears, and this concept of you're just a little cog, and the machine is going to keep going whether you want it to or not. And it never beats you over the head with that idea, but it's always there in the background. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good example because it demonstrates the the dual purpose. For me, mm-hmm. the thing that is that making sure that there is a dual purpose, that mm-hmm. you don't just have, you know— a window yeah. over snow. Let us now pause and consider right. this, this important window. Right, that that all of these trains and things are doing a function in that world. And that's where the world-building aspect of theme comes in. It's not just being by itself. David Lynch does this. Uh, he's one of my favorite examples of, of making the setting be the theme. Uh, and one of the things in Twin Peaks, especially, although he explores this in a lot of his stuff, is there's always a flickering light bulb because one of the things he's fascinated with is being in between spaces, that you're neither in the light or in the dark, that you're in this this spot in between. And so this flickering bulb is a very Lynchian thing that you see. And it's it's very much part of the atmosphere. It's very much part of the world. But it also carries this thematic core to it as well. Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. 
Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which is, again, not a book which this is time. Not a thing. So, um,. We're going to talk about Babylon 5 really quick. That's uh, big old – what are you laughing about? <laughs> real quick. <laughs> the idea that we can talk about it real quick. Um, I somehow missed Babylon 5 the first time around, uh, which – and I don't know why or how. But it's uh, – they've just barely this year started – or last year started streaming it. And so I've been going through – I actually keep a blog where I analyze each episode the first time I watch it. Uh, and I am learning so much about storytelling, about – um, show don't tell about setting and about use of theme. And uh, one of the great things Babylon Five does is set you up to make false assumptions on purpose because it's going to reverse them later. And the way that it does the design of its alien species and all of these other things are all built around its central themes of uh, vision and redemption and things like that. It's really very clever. Yeah, that, one of my favorite things about it was the world building of the aliens and how I do feel they did a really good job, the very, diff, the very different species reinforcing the different themes of mm-hmm. that show. Uh, for the second part of the podcast, let's talk about that. Where you as a writer spend your time, therein will lie the reader's attention, heart, and interest. And so what takes the bulk of the time on your pages? And where do you spend your world-building time? I've said many times before, you can't do everything in every book. So you are going to have to, by necessity, do world-building triage, where you're going to pick the most important elements of your story and spend your time there. This leads to theme, I think. And I think where you spend your world-building time will lead to theme. How can we do this intentionally and not accidentally, or should we even care? I actually think this is a place where it's... uh honing your skills as a short story writer is a really good thing because we have to have, when you're doing short fiction, you have to have everything doing multiple purposes. And that's one of the things that can can really make theme pop and, and kind of sing is that it, it's not doing that, that single thing. Uh, so for me, one of the, the kind of nuts and bolts things that I will do when I'm, I'm in trying to intentionally add theme and make sure that it's doing multiple things things. Um, In short fiction versus when I'm writing novels, I'm always looking at what is already on the table that I can reuse. Whereas novels, I'm always like, what what new thing can I bring in? So for me, if I'm looking for a thematic element like Evil Robot Monkey, it's all about the clay and it's about clay and turning. Um, So I try to make sure that my, uh, my language reflects that and that if he picks up a piece of, of clay that, that he spins it or he rotates it, it's not just that he picks up the clay. So that I'm trying to make sure that everything is doing dual purposes. So I think that that's one thing that you can do is, is not just look at 
uh, you know, I have to get on a train, but also can you hit multiple aspects of this thematic question? What I like about that also is it often forces you to take one idea and approach it from a couple different directions as opposed Mm -hmm. to introducing multiple different ideas, which usually leads to a stronger interpretation of theme. Yeah. What else do you guys have? Any suggestions on how to use, how to divide your world building time and your attention so that it will reinforce the theme? I'm, I'm always world building in first and foremost in the interest of, is this going to be something that there was a reason to draw it? There was, you know, there, I, I want some of the sense of wonder. I, uh, I want it to be fascinating. I want it to be science fiction. The uh, the Oafen race, the balloon people, um, those have been a lot of fun for me. And in terms of those those characters, that race of Sofant and theme, um, they're they're hydrogen balloons, fire, instant death. Uh, getting popped hurts a lot. Um, And so violence for them, uh, even syllables, the, you know, K sounds to them aren't even in their language. Violence is, is really, really dangerous. And yet they have a huge fleet of warships. They know how to be violent they know when to be violent and the way in which they justify their huge fragility with their military might is itself a fascinating theme. And it was not what I intended to do when I created them, but when I got to the current point in the story, I thought, well, there's this one, ooh, that's what they're for. Yeah. That is exactly what they're for. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but of course, where the where it's really working is to them any little small amount of violence has large ramifications. So they embody, I'm not sure which maxim this is, but it's the uh, um, the one that's like if you're going to shoot, make sure you're shooting. There is no overkill. There was a there was a line in there that that I loved when I when I wrote it and I got a lot of good feedback from it. Uh, where someone said, or where one of them said, you know, attention, we have a firing solution on you. Please surrender immediately. How did you find me? Surrender, and we can tell you. Um, no, I'll, and then they fire. And then she says, why, why am I still alive? Well, we use the word firing solution when firing is actually an acceptable solution. They have fired, and they haven't killed her, They've just taken her prisoner and disabled her weapons, and I loved that. Lot they've got, they've got her life in their hands, but they are, have a very precise shot that is going to disable. It is a firing solution. Um, turning that phrase was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one's kind of similar to what Mary said about about having something serve multiple purposes. Um, I've talked before about uh, how in partials, one of the themes that I was dealing with there was the generation gap after the apocalypse. The adults see the world as fallen and the kids see the world as as beautiful and found that just ruins were a chance to explore that because seen from one angle, this destroyed, dilapidated house uh, 
used to be a house. Look how great it used to be. And now it's all fallen apart and overgrown with weeds. And seen from another angle, look, nature's coming back. Nature is reclaiming this and it is beautiful. There's a tree growing in the middle of the floor. And so you can use different viewpoints to explore the same thing from different sides. Let's go ahead and break it here. Um, Mary Robinette, you have some homework for us. Yeah. So what I want you folks to do is I want you to pick a thematic element and you're going to you're going to weave this into a work in progress. Look at the five senses and pick an element from those five senses that that's going to be a recurring theme through the thing. It can be the flicker, you know, a flickering David Lynchian light bulb. It can be the sound of a whirring fan. It can be a, a scent of roses, whatever it is. Pick something and figure out a reason. Not just don't don't just put it in a scene. Figure out a reason that it is in each scene and see if you can weave that through. Awesome. This has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.